The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friday edition of PFTPM. It's Miles Simmons. It's Mike Florio. And it is another Friday. Closer to death. Have a happy Friday afternoon as we all enjoy the fact that we are one week closer to our inevitable demise. Hello, Miles. How are you? I'm great, Mike. It always gives me such pleasure when you start the show like that. I mean, I love it, man. We are. We're all one week closer to death, even though, you know what, we're also maybe just one week closer to paradise. You could also think of it that way. Okay. Possibly. (laughs) Potentially. But a little too sunny Depending and bright upon for you. It's a, it's a really nice day symptoms. here in Los Angeles, Mike. I can't help it. Hey, I didn't know you went to Columbia. Tell me more. Oh, yeah, really? <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a good school there in New York City. Big game against Georgetown this weekend. Go Lions. Um, yes, go Lions indeed. Which one are the Lions? Oh, Georgetown's the Hoyas. I remember that from when they were good in basketball. I didn't even know they yes. had a football team. Now I do. Yeah, All right, let's get to don't. it. There are 32 NFL franchises of which we are aware. Some of them may or may not be actually NFL caliber. We're going to get you ready for the weekend to come and reflect a little bit on what happened last night to start week three. One of said teams that may not be actually an NFL franchise participated in last night's game, the Panthers against the Texans. The Panthers won easily, but it was not an easy night for the Carolina Panthers. Christian McCaffrey, star running back, injured, hamstring, could be out for a bit. Here's Coach Matt Rule addressing the status of Christian McCaffrey. Hard. I think we saw um, signs of of Chuba in the second half once he knew, like, hey, it's my chance. I think you saw him and Royce uh, make some plays, and I think you saw Sam put some stuff on his shoulders, so I would expect our guys to come out. That that's just what it is. It's the way this league goes. You know, um, you know. I saw the Vikings did Dalvin Cook's questionable for a Sunday. I mean, that's that's being a running back in the NFL. So, um, uh, but I, I want to make sure I said that. You know, I, Christian is the best team, one of the best teammates I've ever been around. He doesn't want this to be his team, and I think uh, you know, I want our guys, all of them. Hey, everyone does their job. Cam does his job. Shaq does his job, and then if we don't have Christian, uh, those guys all have to just overcome it. And they did a nice job last night without Christian McCaffrey. Sam Darnold was very good. Chuba Hubbard was on the field for 42 snaps, had 11 carries for 50-plus yards. So they can still get it done. The defense is the key to this Panthers team. Yes, it would be nice to have a healthy Christian McCaffrey. They only had McCaffrey last season for three games. He was injured in week two. He came back. He got injured again. It was a hamstring last night that went, and we'll see how long he's out. But they've got to get it done without him. Miles, and I think they can. And here it is. There's the moment the hamstring goes. You see him hobble a little bit, and that was that. It wasn't even a a, a game that was played of questionable or probable or whatever. They just, he was done. That was it. They knew right away yeah. he wasn't playing again last night, and we'll see when he comes back. Yeah, I really do think it is unfortunate for, for him because now he's had so many different things that he's had to deal with when it comes to injuries over the last two years, when this is a guy that really had not had to play through any kind of injury until last year, or at least hadn't suffered something that he couldn't play through, I guess I should say. So look with McCaffrey, it's just now you really feel like things have to get a little bit more on Sam Donald's shoulders. You saw Matt rule mentioned that in that clip right there. And I think Sam Donald has played pretty well over these first three games. And honestly, I, it's a little bit surprising to me just how well he's played. And I know that we can all play the, well, this is what happens when you uh, get, uh, get away from Adam Gase game. And we saw it with Ryan Tannehill there in Tennessee. Now we're starting to see it 
um, with Sam Darnold in Carolina. But the one thing that he's got to stop doing, and this is, I think, something that's going to become even more important if Christian McCaffrey is out for an extended period of time, is like flirting with the danger of turning the ball over. Those fumbles last night, he had two of them. You know, you got to keep two hands on the ball when you're in the pocket. You have to make sure that that ball is secure. That's been a problem for Sam Darnold going all the way back to his time at USC when he was in college, right? So this is just something that he's got to correct because eventually those things are going to catch up to you, especially if you don't have the outlet of Christian McCaffrey that you can just dump the ball down to, and then he's going to make guys miss and maybe get seven, eight yards on a check down. One thing about McCaffrey, I saw someone tweet today, and I didn't sense that there was any criticism in the tweet, but it's the kind of thing that invites criticism of McCaffrey, a breakdown of how much money he's received under his new contract, how many total snaps he's taken, how many touches he's had, and obviously it skews in his favor. But that's fine. That's what running backs should do. They should get paid as soon as possible. They should get the financial security because of the possibility that they will be injured. They play a position that is conducive to injury. So I wouldn't criticize a guy who has had not many snaps and not many touches since he got his huge contract, I would applaud him for making his move at the right time and putting the injury risk on the team. Not that the Panthers would be considering not keeping Christian McCaffrey, but the bottom line is he got them to pay him after three years, and he's been injured a lot, and good for him to have the security that he deserves based upon his potential and based upon what he did his first three years in the league. So don't criticize guys like that. Don't criticize Ezekiel Elliott because he's getting a ton of money, and Tony Pollard is out playing him right now. Ezekiel Elliott held out at the right time to force the Cowboys to give him the kind of contract. They can't cut him. They owe him $12.9 million next year, fully guaranteed. He wins. Oh, he's tailed off some. Oh, you're not as good as you used to be. Well, you guess what? I drew a line in the sand when I was as good as I was ever going to be, and I got myself a ton of financial security because of it. That's a guy that wins. Absolutely. And frankly, I mean, I like to think of it sometimes as services rendered, right? When we're talking about Christian McCaffrey, he became only the third player in NFL history to rush for a thousand yards and also have a thousand yards receiving in the same season. And that was in 2019 before all these injuries started to pop up. So listen, I, I think Christian McCaffrey is worth every penny. Now, is he going to be able to get back on the field and stay on the field? We don't know that, but when he is there, you know he's a dynamic player. You know he's a threat to take the ball to the house every single play. And because of that, he got paid what he got paid, right? I mean, he's not just your typical running back. He also has that receiving threat. He can line up anywhere on the field and make plays. So, you know, as, as a fan of football, you hope that he gets better and he can stay on the field for the rest of the year because, man, is he fun to watch. And this is part of the reality of using a top-10 draft pick on a Christian McCaffrey. Hey, the Panthers right. could have had Patrick Mahomes. They could have had Deshaun Watson. They went with Christian McCaffrey. You make him the centerpiece of your offense. And when it's time to pay him, you, you, you've got no choice. If it works out, yeah, you're going to pay him. Either it doesn't work out and he's Saquon Barkley, and Barkley is still waiting for his second contract, and he may never get one from the Giants. And one very basic truth about running backs in the NFL, Miles, they usually only get big money from the team they've always played for. On the open market, that name means much less to a different team. Le'Veon Bell's the only one that's yes. ever really cashed in as a free agent, and yep. in hindsight, the Jets would say we never should have done that contract that we did. It's always getting the money from the current team because there's a business and political reason to being able to say to your fans – hey, all those jerseys you bought are not worthless. We're keeping this guy who's the touchdown machine, who's the guy you love, who's the guy that you are paying to come see. We're keeping him on the team. Absolutely. I mean, a guy that I covered for years uh, is a perfect example of that with Todd Gurley, right? I mean, the Rams were basically like, yeah, we want to pay this guy because he had 40 touchdowns within two seasons. That's ridiculous. Now, they paid him, I believe, before the 2018 season, and that was the year that you know he got 
20 plus touchdowns. Um, but at the same time, when you saw what Todd Gurley did in 2017, you're like, all right, well, this is a guy that you have already built your offense around. You believe that he's going to be able to continue at that high level. And frankly, for most of that year in 2018, he did. And then he suffered that knee injury against the Eagles late in the season. And it just wasn't ever the same after that. So, well, there's, I think, a reason exactly what you're saying, why teams like to pay their own running backs, especially the ones that they get in the first round. But, you know, there's always that risk because they play a position that gets injured so often. And I think, you know, Derrick Henry is one of these only guys that we've seen and knock on wood that it continues this way where he just takes a lick in and he keeps on ticking. And it is just really fun to watch him go up against defenses every week as guys try not to get embarrassed. And you never quite know when that guy's going to fall off a cliff physically, even without one specific injury. A Titans running back from years ago, Eddie George, never had that catastrophic knee injury, never had that thing that he was going to have to fight and scratch and claw his way back from. He just got to a point after so many years, that's it. It just yeah. it doesn't work like it used to. And inevitably, that's going to happen to Derrick Henry. The question is whether he walks away before it actually occurs. But he's as good as ever so far this year for the Titans. Now, running backs get injured all the time. Quarterbacks benefit from rules that protect them, but you still have to protect yourself. I said to Peter King today, Miles, when you ask if a guy is injury prone, I think the real question is, is he prone to putting himself in positions where he gets injured? And that is Carson Wentz holding the ball longer than he should, letting himself be dragged down by Aaron Donald. What a shock. You got a sprained ankle when the best defensive player, arguably to ever play the game, dragged you down from behind and fell on top of your body. Yes, you should be glad it was only a sprained ankle. Actually, two sprained ankles. Wentz practiced today. Here's the question for the Colts as they get ready to play Derrick Henry and the Titans. Is it better to have Carson Wentz with two ankles completely taped up to the point where he's immobile, or would you rather have Jacob Eason and Brett Hundley? I guess I would take Carson Wentz, and maybe if I can take an immobile Carson Wentz, I don't have to worry about him putting himself in a position where he's going to get injured, Miles. Well, that's true, but I mean, I think the fact that you have to ask that question is a bit of an indictment on the way that the Colts went about their offseason, right? I mean, Carson Wentz, whether you want to call him injury-prone or not, he's often been injured, right? I mean, you can go back to when he sprained ankles, right? He's had the ACL injury and the back injury that kept him out in 2018. There's been a lot of different things where Carson Wentz has had to miss games due to injury. So... With that thought, you, you really need to have a backup who is ready to go at a moment's notice because you just feel like hard, there's a chance that Carson Wentz could get hurt. The Eagles took care of that last year when they drafted Jalen Hurts. That was part of the entire impetus for doing something like that. The Colts did not set themselves up well enough because when Carson Wentz had that injury, the foot injury, in training camp, they started off with Jacob Eason and they said some good things about Jacob Eason. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, let's see what Sam Ellinger can do. And then Sam Ellinger gets hurt. And you already had Brett Hundley there because he was there. Uh, they, they signed him once Carson Wentz got hurt early on in training camp. But like, when was the last time you ever heard that a practice squad QB was taking first team reps in practice. I mean, what does that say about Jacob Eason and the and what they think of him right now? Uh, it's just it's not a good quarter backup quarterback situation when you just can't trust the guy that you've had at number two backing up your quarterback in the first couple weeks. That you got to say, oh well, maybe the practice squad guy can do this, and then it's like, eh, maybe not Carson Wentz. Let's just tape up his ankles real good and let's see what he can do because an immobile Carson Wentz appears to be the better option between Jacob Eason and Brett Hundley. And that is a weird situation to me. I remember after the Carson Wentz surgery and we assumed Jacob Eason would take over until Wentz comes back whenever it was going to be. And we didn't really know at the time they were talking about maybe November before he yeah. was back. You start hearing about Sam Ellinger and it's like, Oh, maybe they like the cut of his jib. No, they just really don't like Jacob Eason. They really don't like Jacob Eason. And there was an article back in June where they were raving about Jacob Eason. When he came into the game, we talked about this earlier in the week, Miles, when he came into the game on Sunday, Chris Sims said, here comes the interception because he, he tries to make throws he can't make. And, yes, he went into the game cold, but still, when you can't hold off the practice squad guy, when you can't hold off the sixth-round rookie, when you can't hold off anybody, that's not an ideal backup plan for the Indianapolis Colts, and they're in danger of their season falling apart because – 
even if Wentz plays or if he somehow gets through this stretch and he's healthy again, his playing style is not conducive to staying healthy. And what he has to learn, what they have to coach out of him, is that toughness that borders on hard-headedness, where I'm never going to concede the play, I'm never going to live to fight another day, I'm going to treat every play like it's the last play of the Super Bowl. That's how you get yourself injured, and that's not what Tom Brady's doing. What Tom Brady's doing, the minute the walls close in, he ducks and covers. And if it means firing the ball up into the air and hoping that it doesn't get picked off, he'll do it. And if it gets picked off, so be it. It's better than him getting hit and getting hurt and not being able to play. It's such a basic fundamental truth. If you're a good quarterback, you're useless to the team if you're not playing. You have to approach every snap. With that mindset of, if this goes to hell, I need to be ready to abort. Whether that means sit down, like Jim Everett used to be ridiculed for and Peyton Manning was praised for, throw it away, throw it up in the air. I can't take that hit. I can't have Aaron Donald drag me down. I can't get slammed in the ground and break my ribs. I have to be available to play for my team. And it, it astounds me that that it's not as inherent to the thought processes of some of these quarterbacks as it should be, Miles. No, you're you're right. But I do want to give Carson Wentz, like, a little bit of credit for getting back on the field as quickly as he can, you know, from these different types of things. I mean, like like you were saying, with the foot injury, initially it was 5 to 12 weeks, which would have meant sometime in November he was returning. And then he got back on the field really quickly. He was practicing by the end of August. And so that, that he deserves some credit for that. And I think he deserves some credit for getting back on the field really quickly this week, too, and practicing. Frank Reich said today that, frankly, he was surprised that they were at this point already with Carson Wentz. So I think he deserves some credit for that. But at the same time, you're right. You know, you can't continue to put yourself in harm's way. It's the same thing we were talking about with Baker Mayfield and trying to make a tackle on an interception. Dude, no, it's okay. Like, you know what? The ball's picked off. Like, get out of the way because you have to live to see another day. You can't be going into somebody and hurting your shoulder potentially just because you want to make sure that they're not going to take that ball any further. Like, let somebody else do it because you are useless to the team if you are hurt. And as the quarterback, you're touching the ball every play. They need you. They absolutely need you. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Carson Wentz can, A, play this week, and B, how he protects himself if he does. To borrow a phrase that was made popular a few years ago by someone whose name currently escapes me, I like guys who don't have to come back quickly from injury. (laughs) Jesus again. That's what I like. Hi. I'm let's honest. go to the next segment isn't there somebody there's somebody else that we got to talk about right there's what's the next segment here man isn't the deshaun watson next up yeah. next up i'd rather talk about deshaun good, watson instead of whatever good else friend of the oh, Lord. man to whom i just referred Stephen ross owner of the dolphins a point that we've been kicking around all week and frankly it, it comes back into focus because deshaun watson last night not playing for the texans davis mills got the nod and, and I've said this time and again, and look, I, I, I know that on Twitter it's hard to get your full point across in 280 characters or less, but we have been extremely sensitive to the realities of the situation involving Deshaun Watson. There are 22 civil complaints. There are 10 criminal complaints. He has a reckoning in some way, shape, or form. Even if he is never prosecuted, he put himself in the position to be accused of heinous misconduct. And it's a range of misconduct allegations. There aren't many women who are claiming some type of forcible sexual misconduct, but all of them are claiming inappropriate behavior within the confines of massage sessions. That's just part of the circumstances, the way the dominoes have fallen. If I'm a Texans fan, I'm saying we're paying $10.5 million to a guy that is a ghost. He's not on the field. This doesn't make any sense. This is not a satisfactory outcome. And the bottom line is they're paying him because they're trying to hold on to the ability to trade him. And, Miles, I keep coming back to the Dolphins, Tua, who I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Tua Mafia, if you're out there. At a certain point, you just got to admit that it's not working. You could have had Justin Herbert. You didn't. It's not working. And at some point, you got to consider your alternatives. And Tua Tagovailoa, Austin Jackson, Noah Igbenogany, those were the three first-round picks the Dolphins took last year. And I know that the unscratched lottery ticket is more valuable than the one that's scratched. But when we know 
that the ones that are scratched by the Dolphins aren't working out. Give the Texans whatever they want. However many unused lottery tickets they want, give me the sure thing. Give me the Powerball jackpot in exchange for these lottery tickets that if I use them are probably not going to work out. It's a no-brainer. And I think Stephen Ross just needs to do it. He needs to tell Chris Greer, the GM of the team, this is what I want. I'm the boss. I own the team. I want a franchise quarterback. We haven't had one since Dan Marino. And we're going to go get one. So go do it. And it's the Rams mentality, Miles. Plain and simple. And I just think that it needs to happen. It needs to happen. Because if they wait until March, the price could go up because there could be four or five other teams that are bidding for Deshaun Watson's contract by then. And whatever the price is now, the Texans may be able to get more later if they play it right. No, that's true. And look, I, I think that Stephen Ross doesn't even have to be that direct with it. You know, I mean, you sort of alluded to this in what you wrote earlier today, Mike. But I mean, Stephen Ross is the boss, right? Now he's paying everybody. So it's one of those, oh, won't somebody rid me of this meddlesome priest situation? Exactly. Right? Like, all, exactly. All he, yeah, all he's got to do is hint at it enough. And then they will go and do exactly what he wants them to do. Um, but I think, okay, like, I am not really a big Tua Tagovailoa defender, okay? But, like, I also kind of feel like the jury's still sort of out, you know? Like, there's maybe one or two jurors that have still yet to come back with the same verdict that everybody else has. And if you want to go with the scratch-off analogy, it's like you've scratched off about three-quarters of that little lottery ticket, but there's still like a number or two left to make sure that you have a losing ticket. So like there are things that Tua can do. And I, I have had the Tua Mafia come after me for saying that uh, the, the Chargers drafted Justin Herbert a pick after Tua Tagovailoa. And I think it's frankly very obvious that Justin Herbert looks like a better quarterback than Tua Tagovailoa just based on all kinds of things that we've seen over the last year. But I think that there still is a chance that he can develop into the franchise QB that they want. But when it's, can he do it versus there's a guy we already know has done it and has been at an elite level at quarterback, then yeah, it it basically becomes a no brainer. Yeah. At a certain point, you just have to pull the plug at a certain point. You have to call it. And the fact that he got injured last week is another point of evidence in this broader analysis as to whether or not he's good enough because one of the ways that you're good enough is you're able to play week in and week out. You get rid of the football before you get slammed into the ground and you suffer broken ribs. You keep the saying NFL this will about be... him, though, but like that, that, that play that he got hurt on, that, that the guy missed the block. It was so quick. Like I mean, I agree with you inherently that he needs to get rid Hit of the, the football Hit the deck. See it coming. He... Tom Brady doesn't take hits like that. I know he doesn't, but like still like that one, that one's tough to me, but he was sacked two times on the first three plays of that game too. So like, I agree with you, but I disagree with you. You know, I'm, I'm sorry but like at that particular play. I'm just like, man, like, I don't know. That one was really fast. I, I understand what you're saying, but the bottom line is when it keeps happening to the same guy over and over again, it just yes, adds to the concern. And Sims and I were talking about this. He's not a large person. He's like a, a less thick version of Russell Wilson. He's about yeah. that same height, but but he 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 doesn't have and and hey, you have to have that layer of armor to protect yourself against those big hits. You can't be skinny and survive. You can't be you can't be six feet five eleven ish and skinny and survive at quarterback in the NFL. It's just not going to work. The NFL reportedly will be reinstating Josh Gordon after Week Four. This is good. Hey, w- what happened was when they reconfigured the substance abuse policy with the 2020 CBA. Some of the guys got lost in the shuffle guys who were already suspended indefinitely. They didn't get any special consideration and they're still caught in the gears of the old policy. So we've seen it happen to Josh Gordon, Martavis Bryant. They should have been, and the union should have focused on getting these guys a clean slate and a commitment that they don't get suspended for positive marijuana tests. So I like it that this guy's getting another chance. It's a shame we haven't seen more of him in his second NFL season with your Cleveland Browns, Miles, as you well know. In only 14 games, Josh Gordon generated more receiving yards than Terrell Owens or Randy Moss ever did in a single season. This guy's got special talent. He's still not quite 30 yet, I believe. I hope that he can come back and stay in the league and play football and perform at a high level and get paid accordingly. I hope it happens.
Yeah, me too. He just turned 30, actually, a little bit earlier this year. So uh, that's, I, I think it's almost even more incredible when you talk about that season that he had in 2013 when you think about his quarterbacks, right? I mean, Brandon Whedon, yes. Jason Campbell, Brian Hoyer. These guys are not the murderer's row of QBs that, you know, guys played who played with um, the ones you were talking about, right? You know, Ter- Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, those guys had really, really good quarterbacks for a lot of their career. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Josh Gordon can actually latch on with the team, first of all, because he's obviously supremely talented. That's never been the issue, but it's can he stay available? And I think at this point, any team that signs him has to know that whatever you get out of Josh Gordon is gravy, right? Because he just has not been reliable enough um, to be on the field. He's missed almost 80 games since that season in 2013 that he had 2013 is a long time ago, man. I was still in college then and I've been covering this league. Now it was my eighth season doing this. So, you know, that's, man, that's a old. really long time ago. I know. Right. That's how I feel, especially because my birthday's next week. Oh, it is. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny uh, that it's funny that, you know, that when Josh Gordon turned 30, but you refuse to let anyone know exactly when you turned 30, but now we have narrowed it down. <laughs> to let's see the 27th 28th 29th or 30th it's one of those four days i know which one it is i know it's the 28th you can't keep it from me we have sources everywhere next tuesday (laughs) miles turns 30 happy birthday in advance you won't be on before tuesday so seriously i mean it i'm not just being sarcastic happy birthday to you all right uh super wild card weekend super duper wild card weekend wild card three-day weekend they've moved it to monday nights and look, this is this is old news now. It's it's five twenty eight. It was announced eight hours ago. It may as well have been eight months ago. Miles, here's my point on it. Watch and see what happens when they generate gigantic ratings from Monday night football wild card game. It's going to happen in the divisional round, and eventually, what we're going to see for the conference championship today package is going to be Sunday night, Monday night. I think once they realize how much bigger the audience is for a Monday night postseason game, they're going to find a way to have a Monday night game in all three rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I, But if I'm a coach, I don't think I'm very happy about this, especially given what the travel implications could be just based on what the matchups are. But yeah, what you're saying totally makes sense. Once they figure out the audience and the money that can be made, Monday night playoff games are going to be a huge thing probably for the rest of our lives until we die. And and who knows when that will be. All we know is we're one Friday closer to it than we were a week ago. The Monday night game, there's no way the winner plays before Sunday the following right. week. And the benefit is, Peter King pointed this out, hey, instead of playing that game on Saturday because you've played on the final Sunday of the season and you've got six days until a wild card game that would have been on Saturday at 1 o'clock Eastern time in theory, you get two extra days. I think most coaches would say, okay, I get two more days to prepare for the wild card game, I'm only going to have six days to turn it around for the divisional game. I'll take that. I'll take that. Sure. Yeah. I'd rather have more time to get ready for the wild card game. And it may be you Good get point. a full week to get ready for the divisional round game because maybe the Monday night winner plays the following Monday night in the divisional round. And again, I think that will happen. I know what will happen now. We're going to take a break. And when we return, five questions for Friday next in what we'll call the Friday Five. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. I can't tell you how many times since I've been here, um, you know, when I have an interaction with a fan, it's like, hey, beat Dallas. You know, and I I think that's really cool. I think that's awesome. So um, I really love the fact that I'm I'm, I'm able to partake in this rivalry, and it, it means a lot to the city. It means a lot to our team, and it means a lot to this building. Nick Sirianni, the first-year coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, acting like an Eagles fan. And it really is a strange reality for any coach because you're in the industry. You're looking for your job. Hey, if the Cowboys would have offered him the job, he'd have taken it. The Eagles offer him the job, he takes it. You immediately become the fan of whoever it is that gives you the job. And if you get fired and you get hired by another team, then you're the number one fan of that team. But it always is smart to pander. 
That's a way to win over the fans, and he's doing it with the Beat Dallas T-shirt, Miles. So I like it. And, you know, it's not the rivalry it used to be because uh, both teams have kind of fallen off a little bit, but it is, a, it, is a pretty, it is a pretty good rivalry. It'll be a good Monday night game to watch the Eagles and the Cowboys. I mean, all these NFC East teams, they're old rivals. They're good rivals. I don't know. I just, I, I listen to Nick Sirianni sometimes. He just makes me laugh, man. I, I like his energy. It seems like a bro coach. Like it's, it's really this, the first real bro coach. I know sometimes people say that about Sean McVay, but like, nah, that's, that's Nick Sirianni's title. Especially, you know, they're doing Rochambeau with the draft prospects. Now he's coming out with the beat Dallas shirt. Hey, makes me laugh, man. I like him. I agree with you, too. There's just a certain amount of drunken frat boy that comes through from Nick Sirianni. Not that I'm saying he's drunk, but it just kind of comes like that guy that just rolled out of bed at 2 in the afternoon on Saturday uh, after a long night on Friday. And, uh, you know, he's he's living at the Delta Tau Kai house. And, yeah, I I, I can see that. Um, All right. How about this? Best rivalry in the NFL right now? Clearly not Cowboys-Eagles. What's your choice for the best one? Well, I would say Ravens Steelers. And honestly, it's because this thing goes back to the days of the old AFC Central when it was Browns Steelers, right? Because the Ravens are the old Browns franchise, which makes my stomach turn sometimes. But I think because of that, you have the, the infrastructure of those two teams that has been really intact for decades. Right. I mean, you have Ozzie Newsome, who was a tight end for the Browns, and then he goes and he becomes one of the best general managers of all time with the Ravens. So you have two coaches that have been there since 2007 with Mike Tomlin in 2008 in Harbaugh. Right? I mean, these two teams know each other as intimately as any teams that are in the NFL right now. And whenever they get together, it's hard hits. You don't know what's going to happen. Something weird might happen in that game, and it usually goes down to the wire. So that's why I think they're a good rivalry because it goes back decades based on what those franchises have been. I'm astounded that a Browns fan like yourself who disavows the Ravens is willing to acknowledge that the Ravens are the Browns because most they are. fans would say the Browns. It's my birthright. Is the Oh, okay. I, well, yeah. hey, I know, and you'd have two Super Bowl trophies, too, if the Browns had just stayed in Cleveland, although yeah. there's no guarantee that things would have played out the way they did, but uh, well, the maybe Browns would have had, had Lewis and Jonathan Ogden, and Belichick would have stuck around, and maybe maybe you'd have six, not just two. Imagine that. Uh, for I me, it's the Buccaneers and the Saints. The womb, all right, so, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Go all ahead. Right, for me, 30 years ago, exactly, perhaps. Yeah, uh, Buccaneers, Saints is mine. Because last year, the okay. Saints swept the Buccaneers, beat the crap out of the Buccaneers on a Sunday night. They had the Buccaneers on the ropes in the third quarter of the playoff game. I know that it's not quite the same without Drew Brees, but the Saints are still pretty damn good. And I'm looking very forward to Halloween. That's when they get together the first time this year with the Buccaneers at the Saints. And speaking of the Saints, next topic, Miles. Which Jameis Winston will we see week three at New England for the Saints? Will it be week one Jameis, who was awesome, or week two Jameis, who was not awesome? Uh, I I mean, I'm going to push and say somewhere in the middle, but I think he's going to be closer to week two. And the reason is because he's going against a Bill Belichick defense. And frankly, he just hasn't seen a Bill Belichick defense that many times over the course of his career. I mean, he's been playing in the NFC, and those two teams only get together once every four years. So I just feel like Bill Belichick's going to have something for him, you know? And it's just that James Winston never really looked comfortable last week against the Carolina Panthers. And based on the way everything was going in the Saints favor in that week one matchup with Green Bay, that allowed him, I think, to really be comfortable. So he talked about this week about taking more checkdowns with Alvin Kamara, making sure he's more involved in the passing game and things like that. I, I just wonder if it's going to make that much of a difference, right? If he cannot get comfortable, then he's going to be the Jameis Winston that we've seen throw the interceptions and have all of those turnovers so I think it's going to be closer to week two yeah I agree with you Bill Belichick just takes the tape of what they did last week shut down the running game get Jameis Winston off his spot get after him he tries to be Patrick Mahomes he's not Patrick Mahomes he needs to be Jameis Winston but he needs to be able to operate within the boundaries of what it is Jameis Winston can do which or let me do this one first who needs to step up this week give me a team a player or a coach I'm going to go with a player, and my guy is uh, Daniel Jones, the quarterback 
of the New York Giants. And listen, they're playing the Falcons this week. And I think that the Falcons are in just a tough spot as a franchise. I mean, they've got an aging quarterback who they owe a lot of money to. Falcons are 0-2. They kind of had the Buccaneers on the ropes last week before the Buccaneers just said, uh, to heck with this. We are a much better team than you. And then they get two pick sixes and they overwhelm uh, the Falcons for the rest of that game. I don't think the Falcons are very good this year. They're playing without one of their top corners this week in AJ He's out with the concussion. Daniel Jones, the jury is sort of like to it, like it's still out, but you kind of know where things are headed. But this week, I think, could be big for him if he steps up, if he performs well. He probably is going to have Evan Ingram back. I know he's still questionable, but it looks like he might be able to play. So if you've got your full complement of weapons and they're down one of their top corners, this is a spot where you've got to step up and you've got to play well because otherwise the Giants are going to be 0-3. And I think if that starts happening, the questions in that seat, um, not only for Daniel Jones, but Dave Gellman, it's going to start heating up. And Daniel Jones was awesome last Thursday night. It's a damn shame they lost that game. Dexter Lawrence wasn't offside. Dexter Lawrence shouldn't have fallen into a spot where he could have been ruled offside. What was he going to do? Get in an early jump and blast through and block the field goal? No. But Daniel Jones, I thought, was really good. And this morning on PFT Live, it was funny because we do a Show Me Something draft every Friday in season, and we had a montage of Peter King last year like 10 different times saying, Daniel Jones, show me something. So... You, you are uh, echoing what Peter King has felt so many times. I'm going to say Josh Allen. Josh Allen has not been the guy that I thought he was going to be. He said it himself. It's no secret I didn't play a great game last week. I didn't play great the week before. Stuff I'm working on and just have to push through it and find ways to be better for this team. I demand so much of myself, and I want to execute at such a high level. When things aren't going well, I get frustrated with myself. And Bills fans have to be wondering what's going on here. There are so many who think that last year was a fluke. I don't. I just think that it's been a little more difficult this year. Defense has had a full off season to try to figure out how to maybe frustrate Josh Allen, and it's worked. They won big last week, but he didn't have the kind of tremendous Josh Allen performance we saw last year. They need to do it this weekend against Washington, get to 2-1, and one and get rolling. The good news is none of the high-end contenders in the AFC are 2-0, and oh, so they're right there with the rest of them at 1-1. One and one. All apologies to the Raiders and the Broncos, but everybody else is 1-1 one and one that's any good in the AFC, so they're in good shape. Next topic. Who needs oh, – wait, what, oh, here it is. I skipped another one again. Will we see fewer taunting penalties this week, Miles? What do you think? So far, 11 uh, – and I guess this is week two. There were 11, and – Nine of them were the right call, which means two of them weren't, which means 18% weren't, which means that's an 82, which is a C. So not good. Do you think we're going to see more? Or do we think this is going to tail off? What school did you go to where 82% was a C? That's a B minus. Anyway, um, I, mean, I mean, I know I it's been a long time a since you were in school, Mike, but I mean, in the 80s, it's hey. usually a Hey, a, a hey, I was, never right? be- I was never below 90s, so I didn't have to worry about 82s, baby. All right. Well, I mean, some of us, you know, we, we weren't always as good of a student as you, but maybe we still no, went to Ivy League schools, I guess. Columbia, Columbia. Yeah, Columbia is harder than other schools may be. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think that there are probably going to be fewer taunting penalties, not just because officials may want to do it less, but I think that coaches are going to really emphasize, hey, man, don't cost us 15 yards by doing something stupid, right? You know, what is that thing that Mike Vrabel said? Dumb stuff that doesn't help the team, except he didn't say stuff. You know, so I think that the coaches are really going to be hampering, hammering this home because you can't keep costing yourself 15 yards just by celebrating. All you got to do, don't celebrate in the face of an opponent. So we may not like the rule as, you know, people on Twitter or whatever, but as, if there's a rule, it means you got to follow it. So I think the coaches are going to hammer that home. The taunting rule has been around since 1993. In 2014, it was a point of emphasis. This year, it's a point of emphasis. I suspect if we go back to the 2000 season and come forward and look game by game at the New England Patriots roster and list of penalties, there probably have not been many, if any, taunting fouls. This is something that should be very easy to coach two players. Go ahead and celebrate. Just don't do it in the face of an opponent. And... uh, I, I just wish they would be a little more transparent, like which ones were bad calls. Help us right. understand. Yeah. This has been a horrendous failure of PR by the NFL, and it pisses me off, Miles, frankly, 
that I'm in a position where I have to take the bullets on social media for the NFL, trying to get people to understand what it is and what it isn't. They have failed. They continue to fail to make people understand what this rule is all about. And uh, I, I don't expect them to figure out how to properly do it anytime soon. All right, which underdog of a touchdown or more has the best chance of winning this week? There are six teams that are six and a half, seven points or more underdogs. Who do you like to pull it off? Uh, give me Washington at Buffalo. I, I just feel like because Washington's got the extra rest, you know, Buffalo, as you were just talking about with Josh Allen, he's not played as well as he wanted to. I think that there's a chance for them to pull off an upset. And you've got two coaching staffs that really, really know each other very well because they were all basically together with the Carolina Panthers. It's going to be a weird uh, Carolina Charlotte uh, reunion there in Western New York. So I, I would say of all the teams, give me Washington. Yeah, I, I like the Chargers to potentially beat the Chiefs, although I picked the Chiefs to win. I don't think I picked the Chiefs to cover. I think the Chargers will keep it close. We saw a couple of years ago the Chargers won a big Thursday night game in Kansas City, and they were actually on track. This was 2018 to be the one seed, the division champion in the one seed, and Patrick Mahomes' first year as the starter until they lost to the Ravens on a Saturday night. So I think the Chargers could pull it off. I do think that spread is too big, though. Buffalo, Washington, I don't know what they're thinking there. I don't know. And this, maybe this is a trap. But uh, th this is, as, as Chris Sims would say, an example of somebody in Las Vegas smoking crack, which gets bleeped, by the way, on Sky. But this show isn't on Sky, so they can't bleep it. All right, let's take a break. When we return, what can't we wait to see in week three? We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Yes. How did he look, given the... Uh Full yeah, he looked good, Scott. He had a good week, and uh, I think he's ready to go. You talked about a pitch count the other day. Do you have a sense of how much you're going to be able to use him? I don't, uh, Tom. I'll like with every player. I'm in constant communication with the player and with their coach. So those are things that we talk about throughout the game. Uh, but he's in. He's ready to go. Odell Beckham Jr., after that Week 7 torn ACL last year, making the tackle after the turnover, he will play this week. And that leads into Miles' first selection for what he can't wait to see in Week 3. Miles, what do you got? I don't think oh, I need, really to, I don't think I need more than segue. one guess. Uh, that's right. It's Odell Beckham Jr., man. No, I think it's exciting that he's finally back. He's healthy enough to play. And, you know, there was some question in week one whether he would be able to go, and then he obviously didn't. And then last week, Stefanski ruled him out on Wednesday, and now he does not have an injury status. So as Stefanski said right there, he is expected to play. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into this offense because, I mean, we've talked about this on this show a lot, the fact that you know, when Odell Beckham Jr. is out there, there may be some pressure from your quarterback, and that's Baker Mayfield, to get the ball to him because he is supposed to be this dynamic player, right? And, you know, you look at him right there as he is just running down the sideline, and he does such good things and is so explosive with the football. He says he feels like he can be better than ever before. If there's that level to Odell Beckham Jr., I'm sure we all want to see it. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see what he does this weekend against the Bears. I can't wait to see what Tom Brady and the Buccaneers do against your Los Angeles Rams. For the first time ever, Tom Brady plays a game in Los Angeles. Well, you, you, you covered the Rams closely. I know, you, I know, you I actually, know. You actually worked for the Rams. I did. For a couple I, of have, years, so. I know, I, yeah, I know. And, and you were at the Rams, Rams game. Are you going? There are Rams game balls right behind me. So it's like, yeah, I know. You can call them by Los Angeles Rams. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Are, are you going to the game Sunday? Yes. Yes, I will be there. Okay, well, I mean, it's it's the game of the day. Frankly, I'll, I'll do respect to the Sunday night game between the 49ers and the Packers. This is number one and two on the PFT power rankings, the most important power rankings that don't matter. But uh, Tom Brady has never played a game in Los Angeles. Peter King looked it up today on PFT Live. He was the backup to Brian Greasy when Michigan played in the Rose Bowl. And uh, he's just it's just never happened. Tom Brady has not played in L.A. It's a huge game. And, and I think it's an opportunity for Matthew Stafford to really step up and show that he belongs. If he could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tom Brady and beat Tom Brady, that would be huge for Stafford. This is one of the, the very few games I would look at on Tampa Bay's schedule and say, wow, they're really going to have their hands full. 
Uh, their schedule is not all that difficult, in part because they didn't win the division last year, so they don't have to play the Packers this year in the regular season. Um, so I, I think that uh, um, th- 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 this should be a fantastic game, and I want to see what Brady can do in the first really big game, the really big test for the Buccaneers this season. They've been giving up a lot of points, and the Rams have been scoring a lot of points. We may have like a 44-41 shootout on Sunday afternoon, Miles. Yeah, I mean, it should be a really fun game to watch, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Buccaneers respond to the travel. They have been, they've been at home for both of their games uh, so far this year. Uh, next thing I would say, though, is I'm looking forward to seeing what in the world the Colts do at quarterback because this has just been a weird story to me over the course of the week when you start talking about a practice squad QB taking first-team reps in practice on Wednesday, which is often one of the biggest practice days of the week because it's really the first time you get to install that game plan. So whatever the Colts do is going to be interesting, whether it's a hobbled Carson Wentz who tapes up those ankles to hell and then is out there and maybe he's a little bit more immobile than we're used to seeing, or it's some combination of Brett Hundley and Jacob Eason with Jacob Eason being a guy that the Colts really don't seem to want to play. So whatever they do against the Titans, it's going to be intriguing to watch. I mentioned the Packers 49ers game. That's Sunday night football. And look, that's the real test for the Packers. I'm not impressed by what happened Monday night. They were supposed to win that game easily. They successfully landed a punch square in the middle of their punching bag. Well done. Now let's see if you can go on the road against a 49ers team that isn't banged up like it was last year. The year before that, the Packers went to San Francisco twice. They gave up 37 points in each of those two games, lost handily in each of those two games. It's on Aaron Rodgers. It's on Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator. That defense hasn't been good. They gave up 17 points in the first half to the Lions. This could be a long night for the Packers, but we're going to find out whether or not week one was an aberration. Which was the aberration, week one or week two? And I'm not ready to say that it's definitely going to be a bad night for the Packers, but I think the 49ers win, and I think the 49ers cover, and I think the Packers are still going to have some questions about where they are offensively and defensively after that game. Miles, what else do you have? Definitely. Let me say this. I think that Derek Carr against the Dolphins is going to be something interesting, and frankly, just the Raiders in general against the Dolphins. Good teams make bad teams look bad. And right now, the Dolphins just got embarrassed 35-0 to after their QB uh, hits the deck and is out with fractured ribs in one of the first couple series. They're starting Jacoby Brissett. They didn't score a point, the Dolphins, last week with Jacoby Brissett. And Derek Carr has played like an MVP. Look at that throw right there to Henry Ruggs. Derek Carr has played great over the first two weeks. The only QB with over 800 yards passing through the first two weeks. Nobody else even had 700. I want to see if Derek Carr can keep this thing going because if he can, boy, that would be really interesting for these Las Vegas Raiders, man. They've not had only, excuse me, they've only had one winning season since they went to the Super Bowl in 2002. You've given me a real brain twister now because I'm trying to figure out do good teams make bad teams look bad or do bad teams make good teams look good? I think both can be true. Both. Right? But good teams make bad teams look even worse. That's true. And I think the Raiders, hey, and, and they don't do justice to their first two victories to start the season if they fall flat on their faces against yes. the Dolphins with a backup quarterback. This is a game where and, – and this is – if you're ready to become a good team, what you have to do is not screw around with a team that you are better than. The best teams in the NFL win every game they're supposed to win and hold their own – on the games where it's even or they're supposed to lose. So if the Raiders want to be a great team, this is a game they have to win. Last one for me, Vikings playing at home in that stadium that was specifically designed to ricochet the noise onto the visiting team sideline. The first game there with fans since 2019. That is exactly the lift that the defense needs. That defense. What's wrong with the defense? Here's the problem. They're not playing any games at home with a really loud crowd that can disrupt the opposing offense. That's what they get back. And I still don't know that they can handle the Seahawks, but that's an edge the Vikings have missed now for 18 straight games. They're going to have it on Sunday, Miles, and I think it could help make the difference. 
Skull, baby. That's one of the best game day environments that there is in the NFL. I mean, that pregame chant is freaking awesome. And also playing Let's Go Crazy after every touchdown is one of the best uh, in-game elements that is anywhere in the NFL, bar none. They just have to step up and not let Tyler Lockett get behind them. The Vikings have had some lapses defensively, and Lockett's had a long touchdown in each game. Let's take a break. When we return, we bust open the PFTPM mailbag to wrap up our week here on PFTPM. We'll be right back. couple minutes left let's answer as many questions as we can at zydowski john if andy dalton is deemed fit to go next week will he be the starting quarterback for the bears or has that ship sailed what do you think miles I think it kind of depends on how well Justin Fields plays this week, right? I mean, if Justin Fields comes up and he lights up the world and he's like got like, I don't know, 75 yards rushing and 300 yards passing and the Bears beat the Browns by 10, 14, whatever it is, then I don't know how you go back to Andy Dalton after that, right? But if he comes, if Justin Fields comes in and he sucks up the room, then you're going to go back to Andy Dalton, right? I mean, that's just the way these things work. But I, I kind of don't think that Fields is going to look that bad, do you? This has played out perfectly. I don't. This has played out perfectly for the Bears because they can ride with Fields as long as they want, and they can say Dalton returns when he's healthy. He's just not healthy. When does he become healthy? Whenever Fields regresses or needs a break. It works out perfectly if you take advantage of it. And Matt Nagy, the coach of the Bears, said today, now that Justin Fields is getting more work with the first team, he likes what he sees. Imagine that, the guy you traded up to get in round one, given a chance to be the starter, is developing before your very eyes. So we could see Fields for a while. Last one, Neil watches PFT, says it's another Friday closer to death. Yes, indeed it is, Neil. With Jarvis Landry out, do you see the Browns filling the gap with running backs or with other receivers? Miles, your Browns, what do you think? I think it's a good question. I mean, I think if Kevin Stefanski had his druthers, he would say running backs, right? Because that is an, an offense that wants to run the football and wants to run the football efficiently and well. And so yeah, you're going to have Odell Beckham Jr. back. That kind of fills the gap. But if you ask Kevin Stefanski, I bet he would say, look, we want to be sure that we get after uh, this Bears defense running the football with Nick Chubb, with Kareem Hunt. If those guys are doing well and they're pacing the offense – and that spells good news for the Cleveland Browns. And look, they got some great tight ends, and that's kind of what Jarvis Landry does, the possession receiver, the underneath stuff. That may be the way to do it, split out a, a tight end into the slot and have that guy do the stuff that Jarvis Landry ordinarily would do. But it does help to have Odo Beckham Jr. back. We'll be back on Monday with PFTPM at 5 Eastern, PFT Live at 7 a.m. Eastern. Mike Golick will join me again all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com. Football Night in America, Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Have a great weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.